Hello, and welcome to another edition of Community Conversations. My name is Jim Storer, and I am co-founder of the Community Roundtable, and I am here with my capable co-host, Shannon Abram. Shannon? Hi, Jim. We are so excited to be here today with a longtime friend of the Community Roundtable, and I didn't look it up, and I should have, multiple-time podcast guest. I feel like, Chris, you're on the podcast all the time, and I love that. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, I love being your guest. It's it's always it's always fun. I always enjoy it. This is a little maybe inside baseball. Jim and I were prepping for this, and I was like, "But you know what? It's Chris. Like, we don't have to do that much prep. Like, he is like great at this." And it's like normally we do like a whole bunch of like, "Well, these are the questions we should ask," and like this about them, and we're like, "Well, we know him really well, and he's great at this." So this is going to be a breeze. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that, I love doing these podcasts and sharing and talking. So, and you guys are easy to talk to. So. Oh well, thank so, you. So for those of those in our audience who don't know you, you should know Chris. Chris, can you take a minute to introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about where you work and the kind of community that you work with. I have uh, you know, been doing community building for around 18 years. I think the last time I checked and you know, I've really enjoyed it. And I, I work at Esri. I've been there about, about uh, almost eight years and really had a, had a chance to build a community that kind of plateaued. And over the last six, seven, eight years, you know, we've really built a really strong program, strong team. And what we do, uh, Esri, we're the geospatial software market leader. For those of you who don't know what that is, essentially it's using you know mapping, location intelligence, and helping some of the biggest brands, biggest companies, industries in the world use the power of mapping and kind of the science of where, as we call it, to help solve the world's biggest problems. So our community helps our customers who solve those big problems connect, collaborate, share ideas, really build a real bigger, deeper sense of belonging uh, among their industry. They can kind of be uh, lone wolves where they work in the industry. So we we focus on not, on, not only allowing them to solve problems with they may encounter or, or use the use our software better, their work, but also connect them better as professionals and then also you know, get ideas from them. And we get those ideas back into the product team. So our community, it's just under uh, 350,000 and growing members. And then, you know, we, we have multi-use case going on. We use our community for, you know, support deflection. And then also we have ideas. So we use it for product innovation. And as I mentioned, it's also a blend of kind of community practice with our GIS professionals coming in. It's really fantastic. We have a, we have a great Esri community team, team of six that really helps bring all this to life. And they're fantastic. I think you'll hear about them on a on another show or something for another another one. But we have a great team and we have increasing leadership support continues to grow with that. We're excited. I have to say, Esri has become sort of an Easter egg in my real life when anytime I see a map on the internet, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I look you know, at the bottom and it says like powered by Esri. And I'm like, I know nice. them. Like, which is ridiculous. I'll yeah. be like to my husband, I'll be like, I know them. And he's like, they're a huge company. You don't know them. I was like, I do. I know them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's really fantastic. That's part of, uh, cause when I, when I joined Ezra, I did not know anything about GIS. That's the, it stands for uh, geographic information systems. And that's something I knew, I knew very little of, but I definitely have become a GIS champion. And I actually use a lot of GIS and geospatial thinking now in my community strategy. It's a part of what I, how I think it's really you know, opened up a lot of things. And yeah, every time I see a map now too, and I tell my family or my friends and I explain to them, Oh, you know that, did you see the COVID dashboard? You know, we're tracking the John Hopkins, all the COVID cases during the pandemic. That's an Esri, that's an Esri product, you know, or did you, did you know how, you know, UPS trucks, they, they don't make any left-hand turns, you know, that that's Esri, GIS. And do you know how, you know, Walgreens gets all their pharmacies and 
you know, the government uses these things to, to track the different things. So it's really, it's really amazing. So we're really proud to be able to, to build a community for such a powerful use and has a big impact on the world. So that it really helps inspire us to build community for, for that type of customer and bigger mission, right? I feel like we're going to need to have an entire additional podcast episode where you talk to me more about no left turns because we don't <laughs> yeah. have time today. I want to focus on you and the Esri team and all sure. the amazing things you do, but you kind of just blew my mind. So before we move on, what technology does the community run on? Yeah, we use Koros. That's been our platform for the last three years. And we have other parts of our tech stack, if you're curious about that, but that's the main community platform is Koros. And that's what, that's what we use. And we use Koros Community and Koros Care as well to, to run the actual community itself. But then we have a bunch of backend pieces, Power BI. We bring our community data out of the platform itself and then do a bunch of analysis. We have a bunch of plugins and tech that we do with other you know, product teams. Again, I could, we could probably have a whole other show just on our tech stack, but primarily it's Koros. Well, we're going to get into some of that with, I think, this next question. You're going to get to talk a little bit about some of the analysis that you do because your team recently won a community leadership award at the latest Connect conference. And the award was for outstanding community ROI, recognizing the amazing efforts that you guys have used on your team to demonstrate significant ROI for Esri. And yeah. I mean, I'm just really interested to hear more about how you built that model and some of your results that you've seen. We're really honored to be awarded that. It means it means a lot to me, to our team, and especially to our organization. Because as we shared in the entry when we put that in and when we, we wanted to tell the story of it, it really is a story of a lot of the key partners across the company coming together to agree on a, on a way to measure community. When I got to Esri, I wasn't necessarily asked to measure ROI, full disclosure, transparency. But as good community professionals know, you need to have that ready. You need to be able to measure things should you get asked the question or should the program be a little bit more under scrutiny, right? And you have to kind of show that. So I was developing, I started doing it and it did come in handy in, in many different ways. And and what I wanted to do is I wanted to build an ROI model. And I kind of, I actually call it a cost impact model to be specific, And but it, it does eventually tie to ROI because we put in what it costs to run the platform and all kinds of stuff. But what I started to do was build a, build a model that helped us measure the bottom line cost impact from a support deflection or augmenting our assisted support program at Esri. So what I started to do is I, I started to take different models that I knew that were out there, different models I've used in the past, things that are kind of accepted in the industry to do this so I could create that. So I started to do that. I, you know, I was working with Coros because some of what I was building was involved with, you know, some of their models. I used some of it from the roundtable from what we had had conversations in the past. And then I reached out to our support team because I wanted to see what they were doing, because I didn't want this model when I presented it to leadership and, and to other teams outside of our community team to kind of not be taken seriously. I wanted it to be something that they recognized. I did a little bit of research and I, and I talked with our support team who I knew had a, had a model for using support documentation deflection. And I adopted that, had, had a bunch of meetings. It actually took about two years to really build the model that we were using today because I had to take time to kind of make the case for it, build it, have those conversations with stakeholders. But it was really worth it because, you know, I had a chance to vet this with with my boss, who was our chief customer officer, and make sure that as I was building it, I was sharing it with them so that when it when it was ready to share broadly, everybody was aligned. Because that's what you, if you really want something accepted and adopted, you, you want that that leadership buy-in. So over the course of a couple of years, year and a half, we built this and it has pieces of what is accepted primarily for support deflection from a support documentation deflection perspective. 
but we took all the metrics from community, like views of accepted solutions, our idea pro- platform, because they considered a shared idea is something that customers wouldn't have to call in for that. So basically took all of that together, put it, put it together, and it's what we use today. And every quarter we report the cost impact with that. We have infographics that we share out every quarter. We only share these numbers internally, do not share them externally. It's really brought up some interesting questions too, and it's helped actually to engage other potentially skeptical non-community champions within the company that may not fully understand or know how to prioritize that. So that's that's kind of the whole short story of how this model came about and how and how we use it today and why why it's important. I would love to hear more about especially for anyone listening who's jealous and striving for this, like <laughs> mm-hmm. jealous in a good way. When you say you went to talk to other stakeholders, I know Esri is a huge organization, but which departments were really critical to you getting this going? Support for sure. I have developed partnerships with our uh, support team. So we have a couple individuals on our support team that I had been working with in other projects, but I know specifically who who they were. So it was a uh, support organization, both that team and then our, in our product teams, because our innovation use case was part of that, was part of the model. So, and then also I reached out to our data analytics team, who's helping us build some dashboards and things in Power BI. You know, I have, so we have, we have stakeholders that we work with on the Coral side that help to, uh, to vet some things on that. And then I have my boss, who I mentioned earlier, our chief customer officer kind of working through, and I, I actually presented kind of different versions of this that more as a recommendation because you know anytime you're you're engaging with leadership you want to give them options you know and you say that's the way i like to work is like giving kind of hey this is what i would this is my recommendation but here's kind of a little bit bigger picture of that so there's actually four different versions and i had a story for each of those of why i didn't want to choose three of those but one of them was my recommendation and i had already talked when i went to my leadership i said well my partner in in support we're aligned on this This is what we believe is is good so it was a mixture of leadership our support team, we reached out to our product teams because of that close tie between a submitted idea. We considered that something that customers who uh, submitted idea, then they wouldn't have to call into support to share that feature enhancement for the product. So that part, so it was support products and then our, our leadership team and our, and our analytics data team who was helping us. We just closed a survey we did around community careers and compensation. And you know, one of the areas that I see more and more community teams bringing this resource in-house, and I'm, I'm just wondering, given all of your work with Power BI and, and crunching data, is the analyst or like the community data analyst, is that someone that resides in your team or are you using a shared resource elsewhere in the organization? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. So it's been interesting, you know, as I've been building our team and our community organization, I've had to borrow resources from other right. teams. And and that that's been part of the journey. But when I got to the point where I could hire a community operations manager, my vision for that role was to oversee, you know, maintaining the site, maintaining business integrations, and then data analytics. That role is a is a liaison. But before that was happening, I was leveraging. We have a we have a data analytics team that is nested within our team that we all report to our chief customer officer. So I was borrowing resources at that point. But now we're we're at a point, and then also taking what we know of our community analytics coming out of Coros, that operations role was overseeing analytics. So now I combined the relationship that we had with the analytics team and now our operations manager, she works with that team. And then we all, she's, she's overseeing it, but we're, we are now part of that regular flow of that analytics team. So we're leveraging their resources, but part of their percentage of their work involves helping, helping our community team. 
we're planning to expand our community team so that we can have a specific analytics role that would be nested underneath our operations manager to do that. So that's because we have now, now we've built up, we've shown what we can do. We've shown all the analytics, you know, and the power of being able to show the community with that. And that, that's what I've done over time is kind of showing what we could do if we had an extra role and then show the power of it. And then we get, you know, we kind of get approval for to, to grow. And that's the methodology I've used to, to do that. So today it's part of our analytics team that we've always had with that partnership. And, but now we have a role and then we're going to add a new role to really focus on analytics because we're building out a retention model that I want to build to, to do that and a whole bunch of other analytic models. And then we're, we're making our analytics more accessible to stakeholders in kind of like a phase two. We're just coming out of phase one with our internal Power BI dashboards getting launched. And then we want to make data more accessible to our leadership team and then to our stakeholders who are not in, in the leadership role. So now it's it started out with borrowing some resources from from another team. Yeah. And now we and now we have our own resources and building that, but we still maintain that that access. And then we've had to go, you know, outside of these partnerships I was just talking about to other teams who didn't who didn't know kind of what we were doing with community analytics, merging it with business analytics. So it's it's really an ongoing education process, but it's always it's always great because it gives us a chance to build a relationship, you know, with our sales team who's like, Why do you need access to sales data? <laughs> and I was like, let me tell you, because <laughs> we're trying to build community, show the top line revenue now. Now that we've shown the bottom line revenue with the sales and the cost savings. Now I want to I want to connect the business data with community data so we can show the top line revenue and begin to do that. So it's just you just do, we just build on these relationships, get enough going and then borrow some resources to start and then make the case to get our own nested uh, official resources and then and just keep going wider and going deeper into the into the company. It's fascinating. I was going to ask you what process you went through to secure those resources or the time for those resources to focus on community data, but you answered my question there. But I do want to just pause for a second and make sure to highlight something you said that you said pretty quickly. And as listeners, you know, maybe you're multitasking as they're listening to this podcast, they may have missed it, but it's a critical, critical idea or concept that we see great community teams doing on a regular basis. And that's education, evangelizing. If it's not something that you're constantly thinking about within your community plan, you're making a mistake. Ultimately, we see so many community teams and the ones that the vast majority of the ones that are getting awards are the ones that are doing a great job keeping the organization. And this is not just a lunch and learn once a year. This is constantly making sure the right areas of the business understand how community is impacting what they do, how they do it, and how successful they are. And so I just wanted to take a second, and there's not really you know, necessarily a whole lot for you to respond to here, Chris, although you know, you can tell me if this is something that you think about regularly, but education and evangelism is so important to community building. Yeah, yeah. Again, you could we could have a whole nother podcast episode sure. about, about that. I'm very passionate about that. It's actually one of the things I've really I really love about what I do is is the opportunity to talk to, you know, leaders and stakeholders who may be community curious or know enough about it to have a conversation with me. But once once we get to talking and I initiate that conversation because I see an opportunity to serve them with the power of community. And with our, you know, with our online experience with the community. So you're spot on, you know, it's like, you can't not be doing that in some way or fashion, yeah, evangelism, education. I probably do it so much. I, I, it's just what I do, but I learned on earlier in my career, 
how important that was because, you know, you can have those elevator conversations. You can have those like five or 10 minutes you have with an executive, you know, when you get that chance, right. Quote unquote. But man, is it so much easier when you're consistently building those relationships, going and talking to people, just letting them know who, who you are, what you do, what your team does and how it helps them. You know, I, I learned early on that you have to, what I call share value, explaining that yep. to them. So that that's a big part of the education and evangelism process you're talking about, you know, is going to teams and saying, Hey, you know, this ain't about the community being successful. It's about you and your team being successful. And when I started to do that, some teams, they they're like their eyes open and they're like, what do you mean? And I said, well, what right. are your goals? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, communities are amazing. Well, we want to use it to help help you. What do you tell me your goals? Once they once we get past that first like shock of like me asking asking them what's important to them and not, you know, it's not like I'm not I'm not trying to get anything. We can have some we have some really good conversations, but it is hard, right? I remember when I was a person, a team of one early in my career, and I didn't understand that. I didn't understand like you had to go out and figure out what the needs of the business are, what the language of that business area is, and adopt that a little bit learn their language. You know, it's like you're going to a foreign country and you have to learn the culture. You have to learn the language. You have to learn what's important to them. So when you step into that environment, you can achieve the goal. I love the foreign language analog because executives want to come across as smart. And I think one of the things that gives them pause about community is they don't really understand it. And so getting together with them and helping executives become smart about community, they don't need to be able to engage. They don't need to be able to I mean, it's helpful if they do, but that's not in their critical path. But if you can get them comfortable enough that they can speak the language of community, then you've won. And I think when you're talking about education, you're talking about evangelism, specifically within the executive ranks, it's getting them to a point where they're comfortable talking with other people about Mm -hmm. how community works and how it's helping the company. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. And it, you reminded me of a of a point I didn't bring up, which I think is really important because you can't be in the room all the time yourself, right? So you have to go into when you're talking with, and there's so many different levels and flavors of leader, of, of stakeholder. I think that's important to point out is that there's, you know, there's the C-suite, you know, there's the VP, there's stakeholders that you may interact with, you know, at your peer level. So there's different there's different levels and there's very important nuances at that, at those different levels, the, the needs, the expectations, what you need to say changes with each person, changes with each level of the organization. So I think that's really important. So for example, if you're talking to a leader who's in the C-suite, perhaps, you know, you may not be able to be in the meetings or all that time. So you have to, you have to educate them almost in a reverse mentoring approach and you have to explain things so that they can almost be you or speak your mission, you know, in that. And then if you go to that next level, which is when what you're trying to accomplish becomes important to them, and then they actually kind of talk like you or speak like you, meaning, you know, they're speaking passionately about community and how it can help that part of the business. That's kind of like the ultimate level, what I consider like you, you can be confident when you're not in the room, that community and the goals of that are going to be articulated well with that. That takes time to develop it, but I think that that's always been my approach. I use different things. And again, when I stopped using the word community in, in, in most situations, and I just used what was important to them and I kind of talked about community when it was appropriate. And again, we could, we could have a whole nother podcast episode just about that. Like, how do you talk about community without talking about it? So you can accomplish what you need to accomplish, but those conversations with leaders and getting them to be your champion when you're not in the room 
is so, so critical. Chris, I'd love to ask you about advice you have for a community professional looking to start, just start calculating ROI for their community. What are some of the the first steps you recommend they jump in with? It starts with mindset, you know, not to be afraid of data, not to be afraid of the numbers. You know, I, I can I can say that firsthand. You know, I am not a numbers person. I've become one and I've I've been a huge fan of data. I've seen the power of it. So I think just being comfortable with it, learning, absorbing as much as you can about data. But when I say data, I think, you know, there's, that has to be defined to you. But basically what I mean is that, you know, seeing how numbers, looking at financials, you know, looking at like, how do you determine ROI, like an our actual, R, the basic ROI calculations, cost impact, like, what does that mean? Because it, it can be kind of scary to most community professionals because we're, we're operating in, you know, conversations, a lot of the soft skills, a lot of ROI takes a lot of some of the math, some of the analytics, you know, you're using the left side of your brain. So I think the mindset first part, just get comfortable with it and realize that all the things that you want to do and you, all the great things that community can do, a lot of this needs to be defined and could be furthered if you understand that. So just use that to overcome some fears. If you have fear of, you know, working with numbers, but the other thing you could do is that you could leverage other people. I, I've learned how to do that, you know, and say, oh, I understand this conceptually. I have a vision for it. I can only get so far in myself. So learn how to leverage other resources, learn how to, you know, understand some of the basics, but make those partnerships, get other people excited about it so that they can help you with that training, you know, working all the, the numbers. The second part is I would, I would say, you know, just understand, you know, what begin to do, do some research, do some good listening across your organization find out what is important. Is it showing bottom line cost savings? Obviously, those are always important to a business. I don't know what business is not looking at saving money and making money. It's always important. But find out what pieces of data are, are important because there's different ways to look at ROI. Different leaders measure that differently. If you're in the marketing team, that's a different conversation than if you're looking at support, right? So just understand and do, you know, do some listening and then understand the technologies that you do have. I had a lot of great conversations with Koros and figuring out kind of what their models were with that. Like I said, I had got good conversations with our stakeholders. I spent a good amount of time researching and kind of building this up. I also had a good conversation with our leadership. And I said, well, I'm thinking about doing this. Is this important? You know, I, I, it was kind of a loaded question, but I did, I did some research and they didn't know they were being interviewed, but they were <laughs> with that. And then once you've done you know, all of that, and this, this could take some time, like I said, it took about two years or so to build the model we actually have, but I've in bits and pieces, I've been building that trust, building those relationships, doing research on my own, following these things. And then everything that all, all of this involves is this experimentation. Every stakeholder that I was building with, I, I said, we're going to test this out. We're going to experiment. You know, this is a draft. You know, just give, give, give yourself some opportunity to say that, hey, we're going to feel this out you know, and, and make that opportunity to partner with people and say, oh, we're going to collaborate. And this you know, might be kind of messy over here. We're going to see how the data model, what it kicks out and, you know, what that works, but just give yourself some time to experiment and have a goal of what you want to do. Are you want to focus on cost savings? Do you want to focus on top line revenue? You know, do you, what you want to do, but give yourself some space to experiment and include those stakeholders at the right time. Obviously you don't want to show all the sausage making to a leadership audience. But when I was working with more of my other partners in the support organization, we were, we were really rolling for sleeves. There was a lot of like us going and going through that and experimentation, but just give yourself some time, you know, to, to figure that out, but definitely set, you know, set a goal, set something that you set it as a yearly goal. By the end of the year, you want to have this model built and then you want to be able to test that 
and then have an idea of what you want to do with that. Like, do you want to use that to get more resources? Do you want to use that to show a stakeholder, hey, we can we can do this for you if we do that? Because that I I use the ROI model not just to say, hey, we can show how much we're saving, but I had a plan to use that to I wanted to get us on a better platform at one point. Like mm-hmm. I was using that to you know, to build the team or you know to do different things. So have a plan of what you want to do with that, but give yourself some time to experiment, listen. You know, do all the, all those things. It takes time yep. uh, to to do that. I'll just give a quick plug for the community roundtables ROI model. Which, mm-hmm. if one of your key behaviors within your community is getting questions answered, then that model might be for you. We, I, I was thinking about how long ago we developed it. It's eight or nine years ago that we were doing a lot of work with clients. That one of their key behaviors was questions and answers within their community. And so we built this model and it's relatively straightforward. The one real variable in there is what's the value of an answer. And what I found in using that model, echoing what you were just, just sharing is that it has, it initiates these really interesting conversations about how the organization values answers. Because once you can get to that number, you can you know, just go to the back end of your system and get all the other data and it'll churn out an ROI for you. So it's a relatively simple and straightforward model. I think for a lot of organizations, they want to dig a little bit deeper. And I'm sure that's from the sounds of it, what you've done, but it it is a, it can be a good way to get started. So I'll throw that out there. And I think Shannon's got a, got a follow-up question for you. Yeah, I wanted to add on real quick, if that's all right, to what you were saying, Jim, I think it's real important. Our cost impact model, and I think this is true for any model that you're going to build. I don't want to say it's loose, but it, it can be a conversation starter with that. And I think that I've always approached our our modeling with that because there's a lot of data that's going into this that you're not certain you know, on some of, the, some of the data you're feeding into it, but it's enough where everybody can agree that this is roughly, and the way I describe our model is that this is a conservative approach, conservative, you know, output of what our community delivers as far as value to the organization, probably a lot higher, you know, in in some cases, but it's a loose model, but it helps us give a sense of that. And the other thing that I mentioned too, is that this is how I I use the, the mission, vision values of our company to, to drive home a point about the community value and like why we need to do this because we didn't have an ROI model and we weren't very data driven with our community when I got here but we're a very data-driven company and we challenge our customers to do that too, you know, with, with maps and data and all kinds of stuff. So it's like, we're building a model because we're community-centric, community-first company, but we need to be data-driven with that. So I use that again as a way to kind of reinforce why it was happening. And I, I attached this whole idea to the mission and vision of a company. Again, it's all, you're kind of lashing into all these different things to little by little, you build this case of like, this is all pointed towards something of the bigger, bigger mission. And I, and I found that to be very valuable, not to say that it's not something that these are all these one-offs communities out over here, but as much as you can, whether it's ROI model programming, you know, just you're attaching it to the mission and vision of the, of the company in that, in that way. And I found that to be very influential and and critical and getting buy-in and building this out. That's such good advice. It is interesting to think so holistically about I mean, this conversation started with ROI, but really it's not just like, well, we built a model and we calculated it. There's just so many other things that go into having 
sort of a whole view of what's going on and making it matter. Absolutely. My biggest question is, we've been watching the work you do at Esri for so long. For those of you in the audience, we are recording this near the end of 2023. What's next for your team? I mean, you said you want to bring on an analyst, which is amazing. And again, jealousy inducing probably for some people. But what what do you guys have on your roadmap for, for 2024? Our roadmap, a lot of it is growth. And what I mean by that is that 2023 was a lot of launching new new things. You know, we're launching our, I call it our community analytics portfolio, which is this portfolio of our Power BI, looking at our retention model, meaning specific model that we use to to measure when somebody joins, what's a percentage quarter to quarter that. So we're so we're building all of these out in 2024 because we launched them in 2023. So growth is a big part of that. We're looking at being more geospatial in our analytics. We took steps to, to do that. Again, I'd, I'm a huge fan of making sure that we're, we're using our own technology. And I think other community builders, community professionals can also get on this bandwagon too. I think it's really important. It's, it's very under underutilized and there's a ton of potential in, in seeing your community data through geospatial lens. We could have a whole nother episode about, about that, but that's just, that's what we're doing this year is that we're we're continuing to use our own Esri software, geospatial software, to gain insights and enhance and drive our, our community strategy. And that's super exciting to me. We're, we're using tools like our knowledge graph. We're, we're, we're looking at how do we understand the network connections, the deep network connections within our community. What does that mean for our MVP program? What does that mean for different parts of that? So, so I'm, I'm excited about that. And, you know, we're continuing to do, do storytelling. That's a huge part of actually connected to the, to the ROI piece as well. In some cases, AI is a big, is a big part of what we're doing, partnering with our support team primarily, but uh, AI is a big part of like, how do we use AI within our community? How do we take community data and, and feed it into other AI projects across the company? So we're looking at, at that and growing our international. I mean, we have a, just a good, good, good solid roadmap for this year, but those are those are some of the big ones, you know, AI's on, on there, the geospatial components growing. Everyone's talking about AI, Chris. Everyone's talking about yeah, how they, yeah, it's, it's, how they it's can kind of, right? kind yeah. of bolt that onto community or feed community data into there. So it's going to be really interesting to see where a bunch of our clients are taking AI. So we'll be sure to report back on that. As a past participant on this podcast, this should be a layup for you, but we'd like to go to the speed round and... <laughs> Yes. I'm going to start it off with team dog or team cat. <laughs> Do you have a team allergic to pets? <laughs> that's that's what team I would be on. Uh, so I'm on team bearded dragon because that's what oh, we have. Wow. Team goldfish, if that if that's all right. But I, if I wasn't allergic to pets, I'd probably get a dog. Okay. Because uh, I love yeah I, lo- I love dogs. But yeah, no no pets in our house to have. Shannon Shannon needs yeah. to get a bearded dragon. I've tried to convince her. Uh, false, I do not. We had two lizards. Both okay. of them sadly passed away this year. Of oh, old, old lizard right. age. Well, they were leopard geckos and they don't live as long as do you, this is a serious question, dress your bearded dragon up because the internet really wants to show me pictures of bearded dragons wearing like hats and costumes. They like, <laughs> the algorithm is convinced. Like Yes, we do. We do. Yeah. We have one you, that has like a wings and oh, yeah, yeah. My you have to send has, us pictures uh, to include them with this uh, Yeah, that, that that'd be good. <laughs> yes. So the second question is. What are you binging right now? Like food-wise or like what am I watching? Uh, like what, what You can both? answer the question however you'd like. <laughs> well, binging, I, I would say, uh, can't wait for the next season, but The Bear, 
the show that's on i think it's on hulu or whatever but i uh, love the bear bear yeah i'm I'm a chicago guy so oh right uh, and i was i was if i wasn't going to community i probably i was going to be a chef at one point i love the kitchen i i i cook i'm always trying to learn new dishes that show that show is amazing i think you know it, it captures there's not a lot of shows sometimes that capture the essence of the Midwest, especially Chicago, and and that that one that does it really well. And it's in a kitchen, and it's just fantastic. And uh, I love I love that show. I think one of the things that they did, even when they're not, the scene is not in a kitchen, they were able to capture the frenetic nature of a line during a rush, and you just feel like yes. you're there. So I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the restaurant industry for like six years as a bartender and waiter. And uh, yeah, I missed that, missed that part. My wife will watch me watch the show and she's like, what do you like, what do you love about this? So crazy. <laughs> she always says, you know, cause I was never a bigger fan of the, of the Gilmore girls. Um, but she's like, this is like Gilmore girls in a kitchen. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, what do you mean by that? But the link, the there's nothing is, anyone you know, has ever said made me interested in the bear until you said that. Because I love the Gilmore Girls. But she, and, she, I was like, what do you mean by that? And she was I'm like, going to well, check it out the, now. Because of the, the language, it was everybody's like chomping on each other. Like every, like the, there's no space yep. between, between the, you know, there's no beats. And when you're working on screenplays, there's beats. Like there's a moment where you're waiting and they're just like on top of each other the whole time <laughs> with the dialogue. But that's how it is in the kitchen, you know? And there's, there's a, yeah, like you said, Jim, the frenetic nature of that. So it's a great show. The next question is about your favorite work from home hack. Now that we're, some of us are going back to the office, but a lot of us are still yeah. working uh, at home. Yeah. Work from home hack. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I always try to keep my body in good, good, good flow. I don't like to be sitting for too long if I don't have to. So I, I have various things that I do. I keep egg weights, you know, to kind of keep my arms, arms loose. I'll, I, I might stand up and do, do like some like shadow boxing or something like that. Or I have Indian clubs. I don't know if you guys know what those are, but they're weights that they, they look like bowling pins. I have those. I kind of, I'll stand up and do do some rounds of those. I, I just feel like it gets your blood flowing and gets things moving around. So you're not sitting down too long with that. What other I think packs? I can confidently say that we have never heard the phrase Indian clubs on this podcast. But I've also <laughs> never heard of egg weights and I'm currently Googling them and they're going on my holiday wish list. Yeah, they're really good. I've never heard really of such good. a thing, but I love it. Yeah, those are favorites. I have my journal. I always keep a journal next to me if I have thoughts. Yeah. You know, so those are those are things that work. You know, work from home. That's important. I don't. I don't bring the egg weights, and I don't bring because I, I. I do. I do a hybrid uh, work situation, so I don't bring the egg weights and the Indian clubs to work. <laughs> so I have. I have a home office that I use when I'm hybrid working, and uh, the egg weights and the Indian clubs tend tend to work better. You know, somebody's walking by my office. I, I just didn't think that would be good for them to see me doing that. But anyways, you, you got to keep your body fresh and flowing during the day. You don't want to be sitting for too long. I'm going to circle us back to the bear. What's your favorite dessert? Cannolis. Oh, um, great answer. I learned this, like I, you know, things growing up, you know, I, I had a, a Sicilian grandma and uh, she'd make cannolis and she put pistachios on the end. If you guys know what those are, the, you know, the green, green nuts um, chopped sure. up. And I thought all cannolis growing up had pistachios on the end. So I went to restaurants and, and I said, I'll have a cannoli for dessert. And it got to my plate. I'm like, what? This thing's chocolate chips. 
Like, what's why right. chocolate, chocolate chips on the end? I'm like, where's the green pistachios? You know, so and then I realized when I moved from Chicago to California that that was really not only a grandma Catania thing, but it was also a Midwestern thing, I believe, to a certain extent. I guess I was told because I'm like, no matter what restaurant I go in, I never saw any. I'd ask for cannolis and man, can't gotta come to Boston, man. Gotta come to Boston. I also feel like we're going deep. I have a Sicilian grandpa. Well, I mean, I did. He'd be like 110 (laughs) if he was still alive. Maybe we're related in the old country. It's very exciting. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe. (laughs) All right. Next question. What is your community superpower? My community superpower is strategy, vision, and kind of seeing out into the future. And we were talking earlier. I, I love talking with stakeholders and having conversations. And I would say storytelling too. I've I've, I've tried to, I was specifically when we were growing our team, I, I wanted to hire team members who understood the power of story. I love, I love story. And I, I feel that story is very important to getting buy-in and going back to ROI, like getting ROI, showing ROI can be telling a great story arc. I love storytelling, putting all those together. Because when you're in a stakeholder conversation, if you can tell a good story, front to back, real quick and real concise and visual, then you just increase your chances of, of getting that buy-in, showing that, that demonstrating ROI through it, through the power of story. So storytelling, strategy, getting people excited. I, I've been told that you're a vision guy, Chris, or you could do that. I'm like, yeah, cool. You know, so I think those are my, those are my superpowers. I, I love those. Those come, those come pretty natural. My inner podcaster is telling me that that is the perfect story arc that you brought it back around to ROI and we should end the podcast here, but I'm also a slave to these responses. And I want to make sure that folks out there hear what your community inspiration is, your who or what inspires you every day for community. Yeah, I think it, I mean, it goes back to my origin story. I'm currently, I know this is a, a, a plug here, but I'm currently working on my first book. And as I'm writing that, I had to go back to my origin story of why community meant so much to me kind of what got me started on this whole thing like 20 years ago and I went back and I was like it's within the concert experience and I started this concert community called Live Fix and then my wife and I created a podcast and out of that you know I felt such a strong sense of community and belonging with concert fans I wanted to know were they thinking the same thing as I was was I doing you know was it just me so I started connecting people you know I started this podcast and and then I was like, man, I want to be able to take what I'm feeling here and put it into a context of business. My career started to develop. I was working in an ad agency and then I started to go, okay, well, man, the brands need to do this. Or like I, as a customer, I want to be able to experience this in the marketplace experience and all that kind of stuff. So for me, what inspires me is, is always to go back to that first moment that I had and then watch how that's developed. And anytime I watch a you know a concert film or you know I see fans just going crazy at you know Taylor Swift concert or Drake concert or whatever it is or watching DVDs of the band in the 70s wooing people at their final concert, I go back to that and then that's me like that's that's always when I'm in a meeting or something like that or I'm like man that's what we're trying to do and then taking that that feeling and putting that into a context of business and enabling an organization to integrate that into how they interact with their customers and interact with their staff and really tap into that and then take what I felt at a, at a concert, connecting with my fellow concert fans and put that in the context of a business. So and if you can really do that, that you're going, going to get ROI. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> we bring absolutely. it all back around, Chris. Absolutely, yeah. So I mean, that's that's what inspires me. I mean, that's, I spend all, a lot of time doing that, but I, I've had some good time to reflect on that as I'm as I'm working on the book and kind of figuring out all, all of that because I I didn't I didn't know I was like, well, well, what's my origin story? So I had to go back to this concert way back in 2007 or so, and I was like, well, that's where it started. So I think that's amazing. I yeah. wish we could license some of the music from the last waltz, but we're not going to get there for budgetary <laughs> reasons. But oh, I love. Sorry. Sorry, I love yeah, the callback. I, I, I really any, like any, uh, I like the reference. But uh, yes. Chris, this has been so delightful. I love chatting with you. I hope you have a great end of your year and we're so excited to check in with you in 2024. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to another episode of Community Conversations with the Community Roundtable. We'll see you next time.